Moses had a problem. The people of Israel wouldn't stop grumbling about their situation, and God was getting pretty upset about it. This time, the people were angry because they didn't have any meat to eat. Now, God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. God had led them through the dry sea, the Red Sea on dry land. God had rescued them from Pharaoh's army. God had given them water to drink and manna to eat, but the people wanted more. The rabble among them had a strong craving, the book of Numbers tells us. If only we had meat to eat, the people cried. We remember the fish we used to eat in Egypt for nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. No wonder the Lord became angry. And Moses, sensing that there was nothing he could do to satisfy the people's hunger and nothing he could do to assuage God's mounting wrath, became distraught. Why have you treated your servant so badly, Moses prayed to God? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give birth to them that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a sucking child to the land that you promised on oath to their ancestors. Where am I to get meat to give to all these people, Moses asked. I am not able to carry all this people alone, for they are too heavy for me. God listened to Moses. And God told him exactly what to do. Gather for me, God said, 70 of the elders of Israel. Bring them to the tent of meeting and have them take their place there with you. I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people along with you so that you will not bear it all by yourself. What a good idea. Moses needed help, and God promised to give it to him. So Moses did what he was told to do. He assembled 70 elders from among the people, brought them to the tent of meeting. God showed up in the cloud and talked with Moses, and then took some of that spirit and spread it around among the 70 elders. And as a sign that they had received their share of that spirit, those elders began to prophesy. They began to speak in dramatic fashion, whatever words God gave them to speak. Although after a few moments, that prophetic utterance stopped, the community was able to recognize that these elders had been given a share of the divine spirit, that God had given them everything they needed to bear the burden of leadership with Moses among those people. Finally, Moses would have the support that he needed. But there was another problem. Eldad and Medad, two men who had been registered among the elders but who had not gone out to the tent of meeting, 
when God showed up, the Spirit came and found them, not out where the others had assembled, but back among the people. They began to prophesy there in front of everyone. This renegade activity operating outside of the boundaries that God had established through Moses threatened to undermine his authority and the authority of the 70 elders whom God had deputized. My Lord Moses, stop them, cried Joshua, Moses' faithful right hand. But Moses didn't seem worried about it at all. Are you jealous for my sake? He asked Joshua, would that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. It turns out that God's spirit is shared not only through duly authorized methods like the ordination of 70 elders, but also through renegades like Eldad and Medad, people who refuse to follow the rules. And over the centuries, the rabbis have helped us understand why. The ancient Jewish scholars who wrestled with this text proposed several possible interpretations, most of which revolve around the mathematical challenge presented by the number 70. God asked Moses to set aside 70 elders, But there were 12 ancestral tribes among the people, and 70 is not divisible by 12. (laughs) How was Moses supposed to share that authority evenly among the tribes? If he chose six elders from each tribe, he'd end up with two too many. And if he only chose five from each tribe, they'd be ten short. And goodness knows if Moses chose six from some tribes and five from others, Moses would have more trouble on his hands than he started with. The rabbis who creatively and faithfully interpret texts like this one by imagining ways in which the story might be expanded, they have proposed that Moses must have drawn lots, that he wrote on slips of paper the word elder, 70 times, and on two slips of paper wrote nothing in order for God to make God's choice of who should be set apart. Now, some rabbis believe that Eldad and Medad were the two people who drew blank pieces of paper, but somehow God's Spirit found them anyway. Others propose that those two were uncomfortable accepting the honor of being singled out as an elder among their people, so they hung back on purpose, trusting that God would find a way to use the other 70. In turn, the rabbis teach that God rewarded their humility by giving them a gift of prophecy that, unlike the other 70, didn't stop when God was finished. But other rabbis believe that Eldad and Medad didn't go to that tent because they refused to accept an authority that was derivative of Moses's. They preferred to exercise their own brand of leadership. Whatever the case, how remarkable is it that Moses responded to their unexpected and unauthorized prophecy not by becoming defensive, but by encouraging more, more of that unbridled, unregulated work of the Spirit. When Joshua came to him in a panic, he said to Moses literally, My Lord Moses, imprison them. 
Joshua wanted to lock them up or at the very least burden them with the same authority of leadership that the other 70 had because once you've got that burden on your shoulders, you don't have a lot of time to do all that prophesying stuff and draw attention to yourself. Joshua wanted to shut them up. The rabbinic tradition holds that Eldad and Medad had prophesied that Moses would die and that Joshua would be the one to lead God's people into the land of promise. No wonder Joshua reacted so strongly. Eldad and Medad's prophecy represented a double threat, a threat both to Moses' authority and even to his life. But Moses wasn't worried. In his humility, Moses would rather celebrate the Spirit's presence among all of God's people than cling either to his authority or to his life. This encounter reminds us that sometimes the Spirit shows up in ways that are prescribed by religious institutions, and sometimes those institutions fail to anticipate just how God's Spirit will show up. Some of us like structure and good order. We find it easy to trust that God will become manifest through clearly defined channels like ordinations and vestry resolutions and bishop elections. And while it's true that the Spirit does show up in those ways, as the story of the 70 elders demonstrates, we must also recognize that there is no process, no prescription, no ballot, no liturgy, no sacrament that can contain the fullness of the Holy Ghost. During the next three months, while I am on sabbatical, I bet the Holy Spirit will show up in ways that surprise all of us. If you haven't noticed, I'm the kind of person who really likes it when God's Spirit comes in carefully prescribed and clearly defined ways. <laughs> Deep down, I know that my love of good order, although well-intentioned, can become an idolatry. By stepping away from this place for three months, I trust that new and unanticipated opportunities for leadership Creativity and innovation will arise and that they will come not only in the ways that the vestry staff and I have planned, but also in ways that right now only God can see. And I believe that that will be true not only here at St. Paul's, but in my own life as I leave behind those comfortable routines where I get to be in charge and accept those sources of renewal that are less familiar and perhaps even chaotic. When the Spirit shows up and surprises us, what will our reaction be? That of Joshua or that of Moses? Will we recognize the Spirit when she threatens our sense of order? Or will we write her off because she hasn't made an appointment or bothered to knock on the front door. The Spirit doesn't always come as an invited guest. Sometimes she blows right in through the windows with gale-force winds, threatening to rip the shutters off. Sometimes it's easier to dismiss her as a drunken mistake than to take her seriously. 
But God's ultimate vision for the world is not a neat and tidy place, one in which those who have been appointed by religious communities to speak on behalf of God are given permission to do so. God envisions that God's spirit will be poured out on all flesh. In those days, God declares, all people will prophesy, not only the ones we expect to speak on behalf of God, but all people, regardless of age, gender, economic status, or role in the community. Our celebration of Pentecost is a celebration that those last days are here now. This chapter of salvation history in which we live is defined by the universal, unrestrained work of the Holy Spirit. Would that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Moses' dream for the world has become fulfilled. We are all Eldads and Medads. May God give us the wisdom and the humility to recognize it. Thanks be to God. Amen.